Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is technology news. This comes from TechCrunch.com. Uh, NVIDIA AI turns sketches into photorealistic landscapes in seconds. Ooh. This is really cool. Uh, I'm really excited about this one, actually. Uh, Monday, really neat. Monday at NVIDIA, uh, at their GPU technology conference, uh, the company unveiled a stunning image creator using generative adversarial networks, which I will explain in a second because I didn't know what they were. Um, and I don't know if most people do, uh, users of the software are able to sketch images that are nearly photorealistic with just a few clicks. Um, and yeah, before I go any further, a generative adversarial network is a class of machine learning system where two neural networks contest with each other. The generative network generates candidates while the discriminative network evaluates them. And the generative network's training objective is to increase the error rate of the discriminative network, or in other words, fool the discriminator network into um, thinking that candidates that it created are real and not synthesized. Um, <laughs> you're shaking your head because I think you know what this is. I, yes, I have heard of these types of networks before. So I am familiar with the concept and it's very cool. So that's what it, like, they just mentioned it in passing. Like everybody knew what a, yeah. what a, what a, they call it a GAN is. Um, but uh, the software is called, I thought this was so good. It's called GoGAN. GoGAN? Af- after the uh, French artist Paul GoGAN. Oh, but that's so it's clever. It's GAN, like as in G A N, instead of his actual spelling, yeah. his name. I thought that was really good. Uh, the software is designed to compile an image, how a human would paint, with the goal being to take a sketch and turn it into a photorealistic photo in seconds. Um, it has only three tools, a paint bucket, a pen, and a pencil. And at the bottom of the screen, there's a series of objects. So you pick an object, and then you, like, for example, you pick clouds, and you draw a line with a pencil, and the software will generate, a, a like, a wisp of photorealistic clouds. Or if you, like, make a shape and then say clouds, like, it'll make puffy clouds instead, like... It'll fill the space with wow. like as realistic of an object as it can. Um, so, and they have, they even have like a tool, like a tree tool and you draw a straight line. It'll produce just like a bare trunk. If you add like a bulb at the top, it'll make like it full of leaves. Like it's really cool. <laughs> and they have, they, there is a video showing it and I'll, and I'll show you. Um, uh, in the demo, the boundaries between the objects are not perfect, and the team behind the project is trying to improve that. And there's also a slight line where objects touch right now, so it's not like a perfect recreation of like a landscape, but it's pretty cool. That's so um, cool. They trained the network on one million Im- uh, images from Flickr, um, and they say that the program can synthesize hundreds of thousands of objects and their relation to other objects in the real world. So you can, you're able to also apparently change the season in the software and like leaves will disappear from trees, like that kind of thing. Wow. Um, or if there's a pond in front of a tree, the tree will be reflected in the water. Like it's able to do that kind of stuff, which is just <sighs> wild. Wow. Um, and the company does not have any plans to release the software commercially, but they said they could soon release a public trial just for anyone to use the software. And I would love to play around with this. Um, Hopefully they improve the UI a little bit before they release it because it's kind of garbage right now. But <laughs> <laughs> this is an actual screenshot from it. Um, wow. Yeah, okay. 
So it takes the image on the left that you just kind of, it looks like so Microsoft Paint. So a person paint. painted that, which is like very, very basic colors, like Microsoft Paint like style right. thing, and it made that out of it? Yes, it made like a, like a photorealistic wow. image of a waterfall. And if you look closely, there's flaws, but it's like, it's really cool. And they also have a, a short video um, in the article, which we'll link to, uh, which shows them like using it in real time. And okay. It's just really cool. <laughs> That's so cool. Wow, I wonder like what the applications of that are, yeah. other than just you know like being awesome on right. its own. They're thinking people could use it maybe for like quickly making very realistic backgrounds in video games and that kind of thing. Or oh yeah, okay. Or even like in movies, maybe or just something. like movies or like print advertising or different things. If you want, yeah, like some just type like of setting. create a setting. Yeah, they showed like one where it was like. They drew a couple rocks in water and just like made kind of an almost abstract art sort of thing because it was like like a foggy lake, and it just looked so real. It was really cool. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. AI, it's the future. Woo! <laughs> it's so neat. <laughs> okay, my first story is animal news. And this is from today.com. You're going to be wowed by this. I'm just, okay. just telling you how to die. I'm preparing my wow. South African photographer Rainer Schimpf had his own personal Book of Jonah moment when his head and torso were gobbled up by a whale while he was shooting footage of a sardine run off the coast near Port Elizabeth Harbor in South Africa. Is he okay? Yeah, he's completely fine. Oh, Unhurt. Okay. Completely unhurt. That's better. He was eaten by a whale and then then was spit out and is like totally fine okay um he says i held my breath and i was prepared and that's the only thing i could do i mean there's no other thing i could do you can't fight a 15 ton animal (laughs) today (laughs) he was in the mouth of a bride's whale brid's whale i wasn't sure wasn't i don't know bride's whale which can grow to 55 feet and weigh up to 30 tons he thankfully was only trapped for about two seconds before the whale let him free the incredible scene was captured by another photographer who was nearby. So there's photos what? of him like being eaten by a whale. <laughs> uh, his biggest fear was not being completely swallowed by the whale, but being pulled down into the deep ocean. Because I, I watched an interview with him, but basically this species of whale, like their throat is not even big enough to actually like swallow a person. So that wasn't a concern. So that wasn't really a concern, but he was more concerned that it was going to just like keep him trapped in the mouth and then like dive deep down. And then he would have like probably died just from the, the depth the issues pressure. and yeah. the pressure and stuff. So that's what he was more worried about. But like oh. it, luckily it let him out after oh. like, yeah, that would, can you imagine? That'd be so scary. I know. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like watching this interview with this guy and he was like completely calm. He was like, yeah, I just like went into this <laughs> mode of like the whale can't swallow me. So hopefully it lets me out. Like he, he seemed like completely like, I think he was like in shock or something because like he wasn't. That's it seemed like he wasn't like afraid of of it really. Like he didn't think that the whale was gonna like try to try to like eat him. You know, it just like ended up putting him in his, in his mouth and then like it let him free a little bit later. That's impressive because like, I would be freaking out. <laughs> um, and it says that he didn't have even a single bruise after the or- ordeal. Like he was wow. completely fine. And then only minutes later, he was, like, back in the water, like, doing his photography stuff. Like, he's fine. <laughs> so, like, I'd be like, I'm going to take five. I'm gonna- <laughs> this, guy was, like, this guy was, like, unfazed by this. Like, 
I'm going to go like back you- and never go back in the ocean ever again, actually. Yeah. I think I'm good on I'm, I'm good on being wet for the rest of my life. No more showers or anything. I don't I don't want to ever remember any of it. I was like eaten by a whale and it was just like, no, no, it's all good. Like more pictures. Who is this man? No, thank you. But yeah. The whole thing is caught on camera. Like there's photos of it. That's there's like a picture with like you see like the bottom half of him like sticking out the mouth of a whale oh and it's just God. terrifying. But yeah, he's completely fine. Like He wasn't hurt at all. And it was just like, I can't believe this happened. And then now, you know, he he was on the Today Show, basically, and they were interviewing him, and they're like, you realize you're probably the only human that's been swallowed by a whale and lived to tell a tale since Jonah and, like, the Old Testament. And he was like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> like this crazy, like, it's just crazy. But, yeah. But yeah, he's totally fine. That that You're right. I was wowed. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> what an adventure. Right. My next story is science news. This is from Gizmodo. Some humans can sense Earth's magnetic field. A fascinating experiment suggests. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Ooh, that's weird. I didn't know this was a thing. Um, Well, I mean, I guess nobody knew this was a thing. That's why they (laughs) did an experiment. Uh, (laughs) The ability to sense the Earth's magnetic field, which is a trait known as magnetoreception, is Hmm. well documented among some animals, um, but researchers have struggled to show that humans are also capable of the feat until now. Hmm. Uh, New experimental evidence published on Monday in the science journal eNeuro suggests the human brain is capable of responding to the Earth's magnetic field, though at a subconscious level. So the person doesn't actually realize that they are sensing it. Oh. But the brain is able to tell us that it is. Interesting. Um, some bacteria and protozoans exhibit uh, magnetoreception, as do some migratory birds and sea turtles who use the added sense to assist with navigation. Um, but dogs are also sensitive to Earth's magnetic field, and they orient their bodies along the north-south axis when they're going to the bathroom. Did you know that? No. You're going to have to pay attention the next time you take your dog out. They orient their bodies along the north-south axis. Yeah, apparently that's what they said. Whoa. Okay, they, I'll have to. They had a link to a source. I didn't. I didn't follow the link. <laughs> I'm just assuming they're being like, photos of dogs like peeing. And it's like, <laughs> see, this dog is along the north-south. Yeah, I'll have to pay attention next time I take my dog out. Yeah. Um, to test whether the human brain is capable of magnetoreception and to do so in a reliable, believable manner, the researchers set up a rather elaborate experiment involving a chamber specially designed to filter out any extraneous interference that might influence the results. Um, so I didn't go and I didn't like take down notes on all of the things about this uh, chamber that they set up, but it was basically in a Faraday cage and like had stuff to generate the. Um, the generate magnetic field without uh, interference from Earth's okay. and like had like stuff to prevent against vibrations and like audio and it was totally dark. Oh, wow. So it was basically sensory like deprivation. No, no stimulation So there was nothing else that could be stimulating their brains except for the magnetic field wow. that they were generating. Okay. Um, so participants sat upright in a chair in total darkness with their heads positioned near the center of a generated magne- magnetic field, um, the direction of which was... Uh, re- repeatedly rotated over the course of an hour. So they just sat there they for just an sat hour in, in this thing while like a magnetic field like rotated around their head. Okay. And there was like, um, there was also, what is the thing called? An, an electro uh, boy, electroencephalogram, um, which is apparently a device that's 
used to like to like monitor brain activity. Brain, okay. Um, so they did this with uh, 34 participants, um, and none of them said that they could tell when the magnetic field had changed, which was expected because like we nobody, nobody has ever said they can tell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in a believable way, but for four of the participants, the um, EE. G or the, 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 that big word I said earlier, <laughs> uh, the data told a different story. Um, the researchers recorded a quote, strong specific human brain response to the simulated, uh, rotations of earth strength magnetic fields. Um, two simple rotations of the magnetic field appeared to trigger the response movements that were com- uh, comparable to a person nodding their head up or down or turning it from left to right. So just like those particular rotations, they were able, like their brain showed an increased amount of activity. Huh. Or was it a decrease? I don't remember exactly what the... Again, the the article goes into a lot more detail than I was comfortable talking about because <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I am not... We're a, not neuroscientists. I'm not a neuroscientist. <laughs> uh, but uh, basically, they were, there were like these pronounced changes in the data that like strongly suggested that they were able to sense this, even though they didn't realize they were sensing it. And they were actually able to repeat these responses with those four participants months later. Oh, so it wasn't Um, just an anomaly. It wasn't an anomaly. It was repeatable. Um, And obviously it's not for, not everyone can do this, but the people who were able to do it were able to consistently do it. Um, But those people still didn't know that they could do it. They didn't know that they were sensing it. Wow. They had no idea, but they, but their brains were. Wow. Just, um, they they think it's probably just like a vestigial thing from like something in our evolutionary mm-hmm. past that was able to detect this, but we just don't have anything wired up anymore to do anything with that information. Yeah. Um, so for now, we'll have to be content with the observation that human brains can detect magnetic waves and pretty much leave it at that. Um, researchers will now have to figure out why human magnetoreception exists and if this capacity somehow extends to our behavior without us realizing it. Yeah. So I just thought that was that, really cool. That is really cool. It's like an extra sense. That would be my next, yeah, spidey sense. Um, <laughs> my next question is like maybe there's some subconscious thing that they do that, that happens. That they don't realize. That even like, yeah, like an unconscious something in your body that reacts to that that you, you're not like consciously doing, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's really wow. fascinating. That's so cool. Like <laughs> yeah. I've heard of that before too. And like, I think like sharks have that. I think I've heard maybe like, yeah, I mean, they I might, don't know if I, that was in your list earlier, but like I don't different like sea animals. Like so. I think I've heard do that because it's yeah, like sea turtles directional they did mention, for them. But I, yeah, I, I, I think I've heard of that with sharks too. But like a lot of animals that like travel long distances, this seems yeah. this seems to be how they know how to yeah. get from place to place. Yeah. So I think like that's what I've heard before too. So. so maybe these people have like an increased sense of direction that they don't realize. Yeah, maybe yeah. Maybe they're just walking outside and they just know where north is. Yeah. They just know. And they think they know because they just remember from like directions, but like they, they don't actually they just, just inherently it's, know. It's the magnetic thing, maybe. It's uh, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool that we're still learning about like a sense in the human body like like at this point in in humanity's existence it's just it's just wild like so much we don't know about the brain yeah still so like exactly there's so many things to be discovered it's very cool yeah okay well my next story is technology news this is from foxnews.com 
Two Kroger markets in Houston are rolling out a self-driving car program in which orders for groceries can be placed online or through an app and delivered right to your home without a driver. I never have to leave my house again. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, it's just enabling introverts. Um, The delivery service was conceived by the robotics company Neuro, founded by two ex-Google employees. Kroger and Neuro began working together last year for a trial run in Scottsdale, Arizona, before they started this year's expansion. The company has reportedly completed thousands of driverless deliveries within the Arizona market, and they aim to roll out unmanned driverless R1 delivery vehicles in Texas within the next few weeks. The R1 vehicles are about half the width and shorter than most sedans, which Neuro says will limit the potential for collisions. So they're like, I saw a video of it. They're like pretty small. Yeah. They're like smaller even than like a smart car. Just so, like if you imagine that driving on the road, like even if it were to collide with something, it wouldn't like... Yeah, it would have less of an impact, Right, literally. Right. (laughs) Um, During the Arizona trial run, some residents enjoyed the experience of seeing a small robotic car pull up with groceries. (laughs) Other residents say they're not quite ready for this type of change, so there are mixed feelings about it. But But they've had a bunch of successful attempts at this then. Yeah, like it works. Like the system works. Yeah. They're just saying like people are like weird about like driverless cars in general. I think so that's why. There's a reason to be a little little skeptical wary of it but it's such a cute little car though like i watched a video of it and it's like oh that's just cute it's like kind of like round it's like rounded on top kind of and like yeah it just pulls up and apparently you have an app and you like type in some code and then it like unlocks it unlock it it. and then there's like a compartment and it just opens up and you get your groceries that's so cool isn't that cool? I really like, want I would to try that. that. Yeah, I would, I would 100% <laughs> use that. I don't really, because I, mean, I do like the meal delivery services, so I get most of my food through those, but like mm. every once in a while I want like to have some beverages that aren't just water in the house. <laughs> so well, yeah, I like, could use it for something like that and like think, never have to leave again. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> like I think that this type of thing probably, it makes sense for them to start it in areas that are very like high traffic-y and it's really hard for people to just drive to a grocery store like get Mm -hmm. like it takes a lot longer like around here i think like i know it's like you know it's it's like not a five minute drive to the nearest grocery store that much like but i don't know i will we'll see how quickly this catches on i think a lot of people would use a service so oh yeah i think it'll grow pretty quickly so we'll see when it comes more people that use it like (laughs) the more confident and stuff will get in this technology yeah you can just expand it to more and more things and eventually all driverless cars (laughs) every every car will be driverless (laughs) and everything there will be no more accidents one day it probably is going to be that way. Yeah. One day. I'm all for it because like once every, yeah. once everything is we, driverless, we stop having to account for I humans. Think, and yeah. I don't know. If, I think we've had this conversation on the podcast before, it's but possible. if not, we can have it again because yeah. I'm totally fine with that. My theory is that, yes, even though some of the software might not be 100% perfect, human error is the highest cause of most accidents. Mm-hmm. It's, and in, it's human error. And it as long as those things have to account for the fact that there might be a human controlling another vehicle, like it's going to be that much harder to make them work consistently well. Right. Once they all because know Because if they were all, all driverless, mm-hmm, they then they're all going to be following act. rules. It, stuff is more predictable. Mm-hmm. It's like just like the deviations from normal driving is like going to be completely like cut down. And yep. really the only variable you have left is stuff like, okay, a, a deer ran in front of you or like... Or a person. Or a person. <laughs> like, yeah. Like what's actually it's still going to be the human um, error, or yeah, <laughs> or like 
you know, really, really bad weather conditions that it just is like having trouble accounting for somehow. But like mm-hmm. they're going to eventually overcome that But even that that'll get issue. to a point where it's like, like it knows or it's able to pull off to the side. Yeah, if it but just, just that imagine if like, not, you know, you never would have to worry about like drunk drivers ever again no. because everything's driverless. So like mm-hmm. don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about like someone falling asleep at the wheel. Like there's just all of these situations. This and is so, why I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm all for it too. And I, I completely understand people that are like wary of it because it is, I think the transition to it is going to be It's going to be rough. It's in the transitional period. And there will be accidents and people will blame the cars. And yeah. And like sometimes and it will like, be the car's fault because they're like, they're not ready to account for everything. Right. And, but. and we're still learning and we're still getting there. And there are also some like ethical and legal issues that I think the industry has to figure out too yeah. that are really like unknown right now. Um, so that still needs to be kind of like worked through. But once we work through all those issues, we're going to get to a point where like most cars are going to be driverless mm-hmm. and that just is what it is. It's actually going to make driving so much safer Yeah, in the re- long run. I think so. I mean, I think all the evidence points to that. This episode brought to you by driverless cars. <laughs> 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 all right. Uh, my next story is space news. This is from Live Science. 83 gargantuan black holes spotted guzzling down dinner at the edge of the universe. At the edge of the universe. The universe. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> at the edge of our universe? No, that's a galaxy. Well, that's a galaxy. Our universe, our yes. Uni- yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not ruling out the multiverse here. Okay, tr- fair. Uh, <laughs> uh, astronomers have discovered 83 supermassive black holes birthed by the universe in its infancy. Uh, more precisely, the researchers have detected uh, quasars, or huge luminous ga- uh, disks of gases and dust that surround supermassive black holes. So they detected the light around them because obviously you can't, black holes don't actually yeah. have, get them off any light. Right. Um, uh, quasars are the brightest objects in the universe and they are found only around black holes at a, that are millions of times the mass of Earth's sun. Oh. So very, very big. Wow. Um, and massive. <laughs> <laughs> in every sense. <laughs> uh, the quasars and their central black holes are 13 billion light years away from Earth, meaning scientists are now seeing, are seeing the objects now as they appeared only 800 million years after the universe formed. Because wow. time and light are this. Yeah, I, I, I have to take a second. So I have cool to take a second to think about this because, like, <laughs> they're so far away that we're seeing them, like, thirteen billion years. What we're seeing is them thirteen billion years from how they look now. Like, we're yes, seeing them at that point in their because history. The light that was generated at that point took so long to, to get, get to us that we're just detecting. Detect we're detecting light from like billions of years ago. Yeah. Because of how far away it is. It's so cool. It's, it is really cool. Because <laughs> it just tells it you also how is like, huge the universe <laughs> is. Yeah, it's mind blowing. It's so mind blowing. Like, it makes your head hurt. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. Yes. Uh, uh, prior to the new discovery, which was made using Japan's Subaru telescope, I'm assuming that's a sponsorship. The Subaru telescope? <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a car <laughs> with like a couple mirrors in it. Um, only uh, only 17 supermassive black holes were known um, from the region surveys. So they discovered 83 more, which is nice because it makes it a nice even hundred. The new finds suggest that in every cube of space that is uh, a billion light years per side, there's about one supermassive black hole and an associated uh, quasar. 
or quasar. I can't remember how, how I've been pronouncing it or how it's actually pronounced. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> the study's findings are important because they're a window into the earliest days of the universe after it transitioned from a mixture of hot subatomic particles into something cooler and more organized. Cooler in the temperature sense. Temperature sense. sense. Like, it's, way, it's way more <laughs> rad now. Um, the early universe spent uh, several hundred million years in darkness before its first stars formed. Um, the oldest sign of the universe that is visible to astronomers goes back to about 13.6 billion years. So, wow. yeah, these are right at the edge then of like visible objects in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, soon after the first stars formed, hydrogen gas across the universe went through a period of reionization when something very energetic uh, split the atoms back into individual protons and electrons. Um, and part of the reason they did this study, um, which was published last month in the Astrophysical Journal Letters, um, suggests that there weren't enough uh, quasars to do the job. So the energy provided by these things was not sufficient to cause that reionization that occurred near the beginning of oh, the universe. Okay. Um, so that was one of the points of the study, but I just thought it was fascinating to know that there's these these giant black holes just way out there. Yeah. Way out there from when the universe formed. Black holes scare me a little bit. I know it's a totally irrational fear too, but I know what you're talking about (laughs) because there's like no chance of ever encountering one. Yeah, because the time it would take to like, for one of them to like swallow our solar system would be lifetimes would be like <laughs> just like millions of years probably right it was just like so there's no reason to but we i don't know we would, we would be just, dead long before like anything noticeable yeah. happened. <laughs> okay my next story is news news <laughs> <laughs> this is from people.com There ended up being a special surprise guest on Fox News last Thursday. Uh, Right as the Hannity broadcast was about to cut to commercial, a small bug could be seen crawling over host Sean Hannity's clothing and face. (laughs) (laughs) The insect could be seen moving around Hannity's shirt collar before crawling onto his skin, itching its way along his neck and up to the underside of his chin. It looked like it was headed for his mouth before the program cut to commercial. <laughs> he didn't notice it he on his actual... F- he didn't notice it. It's like, although it may have been hard for viewers to focus on what Hannity was saying at the time, the Fox News host did not visibly react to the bug <laughs> and continued on with the show as if nothing out of the ordinary was happening. Yeah, no, this bug, it like is crawling around in his collar and then it goes like this, like up his like neck and it's like on his like chin and like going up towards his mouth and it just cuts to commercial and he's just completely unfazed, like completely doesn't even flinch once, like the whole time. Was it like... It was, was a it, big it bug. Was big. Okay, was I was going to say, was it a big? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do you, how do you not notice like, that? I feel like I'm like, I feel like I feel bugs on me that aren't there all the time. Like, like, I'm just like, it's like, is that maybe, is that maybe a bug? Is there like maybe a chance that there's a bug on my leg and I like wipe it off? Like, even though there usually isn't like... I know, I'm like that too. (laughs) It was on his face (laughs) while he was doing a live broadcast. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, maybe he did know it was there and he just has like a really high level of self-control, but... I don't know. I don't or he just didn't feel it. He doesn't have feeling in his face. I don't know. 
It's one of those two things. <laughs> Just completely <laughs> numb. <laughs> I don't know what that idea like someone's face just being numb only in like their neck area it's like what <laughs> it would have been even better if they cut to commercial just as he realized it is like yes that would have been that would have been great as it is he just doesn't realize and it just cuts to commercial and it's just like what was that <laughs> like i'll show you the video later and we'll, we'll post it and everyone yeah. can see it so <laughs> Everybody can see it and laugh. <laughs> okay, it's time for breaking news, the part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Woohoo! Ready, set, go! go! My story comes from the Boston Globe, and a Harvard study says sugary drinks associated with greater risk of premature death. Oh. Yeah. Which I guess shouldn't be that surprising, but like I, I yeah. guess if you need a study to tell you that you shouldn't drink a lot of sugary stuff, you haven't been paying much attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, they did an actual study. Uh, people who drank more sugar-sweetened beverages had a greater risk of premature death, particularly from uh, cardiovascular disease and to a lesser extent from cancer. Um, hmm. This is according to a new study led by Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Um the drinks included carbonated and non-carbonated soft drinks, fruit drinks, energy drinks, and sports drinks, pretty much anything with added sugar. Um, the researchers looked at data from 80,647 women participating in one study and uh, from 37,716 men in another. Um, after adjusting for major diet and lifestyle factors, the researchers found this increased risk of early death for, for those drinking more sugary drinks. People who drank two or more a day had a 21% increased risk of an, uh, of an early death. So Two or more a day? Two or more a day. Wow. Which isn't like that many, yeah. especially if you're having one with like each meal or something. Like if you have one with lunch and one with dinner at two. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have like high sugar, Pop like coffee even in the morning too. With like sugar in it, yeah. If you get something yeah. like, a, like a fancy drink at Starbucks. Yeah. Um, and the risk was even worse for early death from cardiovascular disease. Those who drank two or more sugary drinks a day had a 31% higher risk of early death from oh. cardiovascular disease, disease wow. specifically. And they also found a modest link between uh, sugary uh, drinks and early death from cancer, um, which they said is pretty much in line with what we have known. But it is, I mean, it's always good to have extra data points. Yeah. Um, uh, replacing them with artificially sweetened drinks uh, was linked to a moderately lower risk of early death. So that is a Yeah, I actually was going to ask that if they had data about like, I don't know, like diet soda, for example. Right. But <laughs> they found that a high intake more of uh, four or more per day of artificially sweetened drinks was linked to a slightly increased risk of overall and cardiovascular related death among women specifically for some reason. Um, so they caution against over imbibing on those as well. So yeah. really your best options are things like water and like flavored water that doesn't have added sugar. Or like, like sugarless iced tea, tea kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Unsweetened tea. Yeah. Um, uh, the American beverage association also released a statement, but it's pretty much them just saying our sugars is just as bad as other sugar. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Or I guess I should quote them. The, <laughs> the sugar used in our beverages is the same sugar used in other food products. So, yeah, okay. obviously, it's not... You yeah, didn't well, what invent else are they going to say to that? Like they, like, they can't... 
argue against all this research that's coming out that sugar is bad for you. Like they right. can't argue against that. So they're just trying to like, they say they're safe to consume as part of a balanced diet, which like, sure. Sure. But like two or more a day, again, isn't that many. Yeah. Like, so you really should be trying to, to drink other things. Yeah. Hmm. So I thought that Who was a fun, <laughs> that was a fun story. Okay. <laughs> On a completely different note, um, the story I found is one of those random local things that it's kind of funny that it's in the news, um, Miami local news. Uh, the headline is, man returns library book 53 years late. <laughs> and gets publicly shamed um, for it. Oh, sorry. Wait, this didn't happen in Miami. It's on a Miami news site, but it happened in New Jersey. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> a New Jersey man says he has returned an overdue library book 53 years after he first borrowed the book. He says he checked out the family book of verse by Lewis Gannett from his school library when he was 13 <laughs> and Lyndon Johnson was president. The now 63 year old found the book recently while cleaning out his basement and felt guilty about keeping it overdue for all those years. <laughs> Memorial middle, middle school vice president, uh, the vice president of the school said a late fee at today's rate would be about $2,000. <laughs> said the district will let it slide. <laughs> And then this is the best. School librarian Susan Murray says she plans to use the book for a display to teach students about returning books. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite part. Yeah, that's very good. Good good for that librarian. <laughs> Why is that in the news? I don't know. <laughs> that was my first impression of it too. And I'm like, this is hilarious. I'm going to read this. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. Uh, you can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever other app you'd like to use. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News and on Twitter at, at News. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.